Universal Hate School. I am hella Harley. H-A-R-L-E-Y. Just in case you're spelling impaired, just in case you have dysgraphia, which I learned this weekend uh, when somebody came back at me after I called them out for misspelling the word losing, they said, well, I have dysgraphia, but they were talking smack to me already. So I was like, yeah, you can't do that though. You can't be like, F you, Mark Harley. And then I'm like, you spelled F you wrong. And like, I can't spell and it's a disability. Did they spell it loosing? They did. I, I'm guilty of that saying. Right. Well, you're also not talking smack to me on the internet. You don't know that. <laughs> and then, right. I could no, have secret true. accounts. That's I could true. be fueling this whole oh, thing. Oh my God. It was coming from inside the building the entire time. Yeah, it was an inside job. Thick Boys Studios undermining their star. <laughs> uh, star podcaster. This is what people will use to go out of context and be like, see, Mark's a narcissist. By the way, I challenged everyone in the subreddit to define the mental illness that I suffer from. And one person posted a list of narcissistic traits on, my, uh, on the last podcast episode. Without any evidence of, of how I, you know, how my behavior applies to those traits. And so I just replied with a list of traits of pedophilia and said, the respond, <laughs> the person who just commented uh, is a pedophile. As you can see, here's a list of those traits. Same thing, right? Logic is difficult. We'll get to that in a second, though. We'll get to all sorts of things relating to the drama in my life. Uh, once we get over some trauma in some other people's lives. Sounds like a real looser. Sounds like yeah, <laughs> this guy's an obvious looser. I've never seen such a looser. He's a real lose cannon. Um, we're doing a new segment today. It's called Overheard on the Amber Heard Trial. Oh, wow. That's news to me. I mean, it, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Casey. I sprung this on you. <laughs> Casey's like, but normally I prep for hours on these segments. <laughs> um, so, you know, I have been fascinated with this in part because of the psychological elements of it, right? It, to me, it's more than just drama between two people and he said, she said, because at first when it was that, it's, it's like, who cares, right? two people in a relationship making claims about one another. But when it gets to the point where you're having experts testify with contradictory testimony about somebody's psychological impairment, I mean, I relate to that too, because again, a lot of these dudes are literally claiming I have mental illness. It's like, then give the evidence, testify to what my mental illness is. And you can't, or you know, I, I get to rebut or whatever. Or if I do rebut anybody, they say, see, it's a symptom of mental illness that you're responding to me. Right. So I guess uh, the fact that this expert is giving her testimony in response to somebody else critiquing her testimony is evidence of her mental illness, according to that logic. But the video in question is Johnny Depp expert rips Amber Heard's psychologist for misrepresenting testimony. If you wanted to look that up um, and we, you know, we, you don't have to play it, but it's like this is. It, it's, these are a series of videos that don't have commentary on them. So every day I've been, you know, they are, the headlines are a little clickbaity, but actually pretty accurate, you know, like they're enticing. It, you'll know what's in the video. Like yesterday there was one that talked about the fact that some of these videos that were leaked to TMZ came directly from Amber Heard. And how do you know that? Even if, you know, you, you're just the video editor because of the copyright situation, right? If like, if you get a video from somebody else, they have to clear the copyright to it, which can take days. They really do a thorough check on it. So the fact that they were immediately able to post it, it's like, this came from the copyright owner. Who's the copyright owner ever heard? And you know, 
there's actually a much longer video where you can see her like snickering into the camera afterwards. And I forget what the specific thing was, but she's obviously like, you know, this was like a bombshell that came out. Still interesting, not as interesting as this, which was something that I try to convey to people when the DEP team psychological expert or, you know, expert testimony uh, giver was basically testifying that Amber Heard suffers from borderline personality and not PTSD, even those two things have overlapping symptoms and, uh, you know, might look superficially similar in some ways, but have very different sources and, and different uh, implications for somebody who's claiming to be the victim of abuse in a uh, trial, right? Uh, she testified that, you know, essentially she administered these tests that are designed to catch people lying. And not specifically, but it's like, you know, look, the simplest test for any personality disorder would just be, do you have this disorder? If somebody could have complete access to their own mind objectively and have also expertise to be able to diagnose, you know, you could just ask somebody, are you a narcissist? Are you a psychopath? Do you have borderline personality disorder? Are you a schizophrenic? Um, you know, do you suffer from bipolar? Simple. However, there must be other indicators, especially if there's consequences to that, where you're trying to appear one way or you're incentivized to appear one way or the other. So she, you know, goes through how the Amber Heard psychologist inappropriately used certain tests. And I'm just going to give you some examples. Um, <clears throat> She gave her a, a PTSD checklist, which uh, is a screening instrument only, right? And she was using it as a test to like to see, do you have PTSD? <clears throat> You're also supposed to give this at a certain time and place, right? All these things have relevance and um, the situation and time in which you give them is very important. So giving a, you know, somebody a screening, uh, a PTSD checklist, it's a screening instrument only where it lists every single symptom, potential symptom of PTSD, um, because this is the most frequently claimed and feigned uh, diagnosis in civil court, you're essentially handing somebody a checklist of PTSD symptoms and you're teaching them all the little nuances that, that the psychologist would be looking for to actually diagnose PTSD. So it's like, do you suffer from any of these? If there's no mechanism to throw you off from that, and somebody wanted to manipulate or exploit that information to seem like they have PTSD when they don't, you gave them a cheat sheet, right? Um, and she basically checked off everyone. There's a danger assessment scale. Oh, and by the way, like if you, you know, it's like essentially impossible to have more than a certain number. If you list like 13 symptoms of PTSD, like there's just, you know, perhaps never been a case where everybody has all 13, right? Are you aware of that? Like, I didn't know anything about it, but I'm like, oh, right, that makes sense because, you know, you'll have PTSD is probably a pretty broad umbrella. And also, um, you know, you have different things that would cause that PTSD via different, you know, uh, senses even. So, uh, you know, and then another thing that I think is relevant to that real quick is it impairs your function, right? So if you have PTSD, you're not normally able to work. And one of the big things was like, Amber Heard continued to go on and do things, like become a, you know, sommelier in training and do acting movies. Like, but most people who have actual PTSD find 
a severe impairment of function where you can't go to work, you don't leave your house, like something changes drastically behaviorally and that just didn't seem to be present as one of the primary things that you'd look at. So the second thing she gave was a danger assessment scale, right? And this is talking about the woman working for Amber Heard and why she can be discredited. It's designed for nurses in an emergency room that's the setting, right? It's not a retrospective measure to look back in time and say, uh, you know, what happened three, four, five, six years ago in this situation that we're now totally removed from when you're in litigation and incentivized to make yourself appear as if you're a battered wife. Um, the reason they give this apparently in the, the emergency room, it's like a list of things where it's like, how many times has this happened in the last year? How many times has that happened? You know, how many times has your husband hit you? Uh, does your husband own a gun? Uh, you know, has he ever threatened you with a knife? They, they list all these things not to figure out if you're abused because it's really for women who are like in there with an injury and it's super obvious that their husband beat the crap out of them and the injury is severe and it's obviously an ongoing thing and they give the, the woman a list to be like, maybe you'll wake up from, from reading all these things because you're going to be in denial to some degree, you know, or, or if you are in denial, they could give you this and try to induce some sort of light bulb moment where you go, oh, right, maybe I am really in danger. And then you're more likely to seek resources. So it's not something you give like six years later to be like, think back, like, you know, how many times did he hit you a week? Did he have, was he dangerous when, you know, there's millions of dollars on the line for you to say that he's dangerous and abusive? The other one she gave was the conflict tactic scale uh, designed for research purposes uh, to research family violence anonymously. So you'd be filling this out like anonymously. So you have less incentive to like, you know, or essentially no incentive to manipulate or exaggerate, whatever. And there's no controls for exaggeration or minimization. It's given to participants anonymously to collect data on the prevalence of abuse and how abusive dynamics work, broadly speaking, right? So we're giving these patterns. So, the other psychologists basically used that to like self-report these things, you know, each one of which was like out of context. And there was actually more. Those are just four of them, but um, including a, a mood disorder questionnaire about symptoms of bipolar. So um, she basically, you know, she goes through and breaks all it, it. I mean, it's insane to me. This woman like inappropriately administered like several tests. Uh, in order to make this claim about Amber Heard's psychological state or having PTSD versus Depp's attorney claiming that she had borderline and histrionic personality, I found that damn interesting. And also the other thing was she, uh, you know, that I'll say in contrast to that, when you give somebody what's called the Miller Forensic Assessment Symptom Test, again, not claiming to be an expert, I'm just regurgitating what she says, and, and these are the things that I found interesting in her testimony and much more. This is just like a, you know, a few minutes of this she talks about. Um, the Miller Forensic Assessment Symptom Test is a brief set of questions you ask the examinee. It's extremely effective at revealing an examinee's attempt to fake a severe mental illness or psychosis. Um, and psychosis is when somebody loses touch with reality completely. That's the important part. And broadly speaking, I'll wrap this up just by saying, <laughs> all the tests that had some sort of instrument for measuring attempts to exaggerate uh, their symptoms or minimize their responsibility, she fell for, right? And in each scenario, it was consistent with people who have personality disorders. Um, because, for example, 
if you if the participant is able to like suss out what the questionnaire is looking for, you know, because each questionnaire they're not necessarily going to say that they have these you know names that don't necessarily indicate like you know this is the crazy test, right? The participant, if they have a mental illness or or you know certain kinds of of personality disorders, are going to be more likely to like exaggerate, you know, their sort of like victimhood, minimize their responsibility, you know, like like they're playing to something and that catches you in things because, you know, for, and even with the PTSD test, it's like they'll throw in things that like aren't symptoms of PTSD and you're claiming it. And it's like, well, gotcha, because you're, <laughs> so she scored in this like elite level, like 1% of people who like, you know, are the biggest liars on these tests essentially. And um, it's, just very interesting to note that the only person sort of defending her and saying this, it's like, well, you know, your objective data collection is undermined, right? It's essentially to the point of being worthless because if you remove a, a test from its designated context, it's, it's meaningless or you implement one part of it wrong, it's meaningless. And uh, if you start contradicting yourself, the other answers become meaningless, right? It adds weight to like, undermine the rest of your answers, even if those answers on their own seem legitimate. If the other half of the question uh, questions are designed to sort of measure your dishonesty on the first half, then you're screwed. Makes sense? I know that might be really boring to some people, but <laughs> it's interesting to me. And probably the most interesting part of this because you go, if that is the case, if we can conclude that she has certain traits, those things correlate with lying, with manipulation, with exploitation, and a willingness to do something as severe as lie about having been the victim of violence in order to get financial gain, right? So that's, to me, that's always the underlying thing. It's not about like, oh, did, did this really happen or not in this particular moment? You have to look at the character of the people as objectively as possible. And these tests just really caught my interest in, as far as something that can actually catch people who have bad faith motives in the act of lying, exaggerating, minimizing. And when they don't know what's going on, they do this thing where it's like, they like over, really overcompensate. If they can't tell what's going on in the test, like they get super defensive and make sure to like not have any expression of ever having been responsible for anything. And then when it's asking them a positive thing, it's like they go way over the top to make themselves seem super angelic and everything I do is positive and helpful and benevolent. So. Really interesting stuff. I urge you to watch that. And if you're not into psychology like me, I urge you to never watch this podcast again. <laughs> All right. If you're watching this podcast, you know one thing is correct. I'm on Kratom. And not just any Kratom. Happy Hippo Kratom. The best G-dang Kratom in the entire universe from happyhippoherbals.com. I do use it. I do love it. I do use it responsibly. And I offer it up to you as something that maybe you'll enjoy because it's natural and it comes from plants, dog. So if you've ever thought about trying Kratom and want to see why I like it so much and want to say, hmm, what's my favorite method of ingesting Kratom, whether it's the powder, whether it's the pills, whether it's the little Kratom energy shots that taste like five hour, uh, five hour energy or whatever it's called, six hour, seven hour, four hour. <laughs> You should give it a try. Go to happyhippoherbals.com. Use promo code THICKBOY with three C's for 20% off, not just that purchase or your next purchase. 
but every purchase for the rest of your life. And if you're listening to this and they revoke those privileges at any point, you come to me and I'll let happy hippo herbals know, uh-uh, this ain't happening, okay? It's either me or this anonymous fan here who requested that I don't say their name because they just really like Kratom and they want the discount, okay? Wow, Mark, that's a really nice shirt you have on. It seems kind of tailored for a guy with your build, who has muscles, who works out, who wants to look classy, whether he's podcasting or going to the improv to see a cool show. Well, tell you what, it's oakandstoneclothing.com. Their stuff is nice, it's high quality. It will tell women that you approach, I know how to dress, but I'm not overdoing it, all right? Simple basic items like this, high quality fabrics, ethically sourced material. I urge you to give it a shot, just go. Just go to the website, okay? Just, just check it out. Use promo code HELLA for that 10% off if you do buy anything, but there's no obligation to buy. You just visit the site and picture yourself in these clothes and then DMing me to tell me that you got the clothes and then we're trading pics and all of a sudden it's a fashion show in the DMs and shit gets weird. Can we move on? Casey, are you done hearing about the Amber Heard trial? What is your take on it? No, I wanted to go into, uh, yeah. there's like a 40 minute rant that I would love to do now if given the opportunity. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we can move on. Uh, we got time. We got time. We'll cut mine out and put yours in. It'll probably be more interesting. Um, you know, but I do, I was going to relate it back to, you know, what's fun. I've been telling people lately, like certain guys from Reddit will come message me and it's immediately apparent what their motivations are. And it is kind of a gut instinct, but part of it I can sort of identify and put into words, which is it's a sense of entitlement, right? These guys come and instead of, for example, giving me a sincere compliment that seems sincere because they're giving me something specific and almost making themselves vulnerable because especially if you're a guy, to compliment other guy, like there's this like, hashtag no homo like mentality of like I can't give a guy a compliment almost on anything that seems sincere and heartfelt without feeling self-conscious about my sexuality right that's just a notion that that's you not, know I mean I tell you every morning you have beautiful lips <laughs> I, and I don't think that's yeah I don't think or... you suffer from that but oh, like okay okay like, so, and I can, like <laughs> so I can continue to do so right yes you, you definitely continue to do so <laughs> and anybody complimenting me don't ever feel self-conscious no I but I really do you know it's just a weird thing it's like why can't I get, I don't know but like I know it's a it's a cultural meme and I know why we all do that because everybody you know especially if you're in like football or certain sports like the whole matrix was like everybody bullies kind of each other on the team by saying, no, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, you know. And uh, and then sometimes, you know, there are gay football players on the team. And it's like that is hurtful and serious and changes your perspective on things. Um, but, you know, hopefully everybody has that moment where you're like, oh, like joking around like that with a teammate is one thing. Doing it to, you know, or if somebody even overhears that who is gay, like that's hurtful and, and you shouldn't do that. Um, but not everybody learns that and uh, it, it, it's still internalized. So what I'm saying is when people DM me and give me compliments, you know, there's just, there, there's like this uh, little radar that goes off where it's like this person is trying to get something out of me or is like rude in some way because real fans, again, they'll usually lead with a longer message, like say what they want to say, express support in a way that just feels more genuine and sincere. And what is that? It doesn't feel like they're trying to get something or a lot of times they'll just be like, hey, and expect me to respond. And then if I do, it's like, 
they're starting to ask me questions and give them information about things, which, you know, a couple times of, I immediately recognize that, you know, and then put things that I want them to post. And, and it gets posted and they think they've gotten one over on me. But the fact of the matter is I knew from the beginning because it's so obvious when you're pushy or you're rude or you're giving these little signs that you want to come off as something that you think I want, which is like a sycophantic person, like telling me how great and cool and handsome I am. It's like, oh, you're like, first of all, I could tell when it's sincere or not. But like, secondly, you think you're like greasing me up by doing that or something like that. Like, oh, I'll just tell you anything because you told me I'm good at podcasting and handsome. Not how it works. You got to tell me I have a big dick too. So given that, it's almost like, you know, making this comparison to those nuances and how you can sort of trick and trap people, you know, to like revealing their, like, I, I really, hey, Casey, I'm a huge fan. I really like you. Tell me everything about Thick Boy Studios. That's a secret, you know. It's like, whoa, that was weird and quick and abrupt, but you're too immature would be one way to put it. I don't even mean that pejoratively. It's just like, it's usually these guys are like, you know, in this like teenage to 25 range that I'm like, oh, you lack the social skills to even come off as having gratitude or being honored to have an exchange with somebody who, if you looked up to me, you would feel a certain way, right? Um, so even the fact that you're, you're remotely even treating me like neutral or condescending betrays the fact that you're setting me up in the first place like you really like me, you know, or you really look up to me or something like that. So it's just an interesting little thing. And I do want to announce one of the most important things that ever happened to me, which was getting ES sneakers to follow me on Instagram. What? And let's just look at that here. Let's look at, let's look, you know, a lot of people said, I don't have any ES sneakers. Oh, really? No, nobody said that. Um, but I do have like, you know, during the pandemic, I went nuts buying ES sneakers. I bought like probably 15 pairs, you know? And one of those things were like, yeah, I'll just buy like 15, 20 pairs and, and send some back that I don't like. I sent zero pairs of shoes back unless they were like just a size that didn't fit me. Um, <laughs> and I just went, went and bought the same ones off eBay in the actual size I needed. But I went into suplex sneakers. I talked about how I didn't know any of the Nike or Jordans. It doesn't make any sense to me. Shout out Suplex. I love the sneakers you guys hooked me up with, and apparently people want them because I posted them like, oh, so it just came out, and I'll give you this much money for it. And I'm like, no, because whatever you're offering me obviously isn't the market value price for that, so I'm not going to do it. But I went and I was like, man, I don't know anything about this because all I do is do ES sneakers, right? And that somehow made it to the owner of ES. Like, I know, I know what the connection is, but it made it to one of the owners of ES sneakers. I've been wearing ES sneakers exclusively. It's the only skate shoe I'd buy, aside from being gifted some Vans. And I love Vans, they're great, but ES is the ish. I used to build outfits off of ES sneakers. So what's it, you know, dude, the, the, the magnitude of my coolness in high school with these ES-based outfits is gonna be mind-boggling to you. When I get some of these pictures for you, and see the plaid shirts that I matched with the, with the shoes to the beads in my earrings, you're gonna be like, oh, so you've always been this cool. So there just wasn't, it wasn't like a gradual buildup to this. It was like, you came out the womb just killing it, dog. And for some of you, it's gonna be surprising because I, like, I know I preach like hard work. Like I wasn't born buff, I was born cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> fantastic show last night at the at the improv, 
where, you know what, the real thing I want to talk about, because sure, okay, sure, Chris D'Elia, Brendan Schaub, Jeff Dyke, Craig Conant, Jim Gaffigan all performed, and that was amazing. But really, we had a special guest from Toronto named Grego Gallagher, a.k.a. Kino Body, somebody who I've talked about here before. Um, he's got a great clothing line, a great supplement line, and a great uh, system of programs that I encourage people to check out because a lot of our philosophies overlap as far as minimalism and just you know reducing this down. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated. Uh, I like his diet model. I think it's easy for a lot of guys to follow. And the proof is in the pudding because he's somebody who's created like literally thousands of transformations. And many of them... I have good reason to believe her natural. Like, I don't assume everybody doing his, his programs is, you know, but, but I believe he's natty. And he, his program works for guys who are natty. So if you're starting from that place, that's a really good place to be. You know, three days a week lifting weights and a simple diet model uh, to get shredded. Like, most guys could benefit from this, especially if you're coming to me and going, hey, help me get started. That's one of the guys that'll be like, check out this. If you have a little money, right? There's other free resources on YouTube, but... If you have a hundred bucks to spend on a program, I would recommend that. Um, he's got a few different lifting programs and like a you know an aggressive fat loss protocol. Say you're at twenty percent body fat and you want to get down to, you know, ten percent and gain muscle. It's probably going to be more efficient to ramp up the dieting at first, get down to a weight where you can really see those results, and then add muscle. So his aggressive fat loss system is really good. But you know what? Not here to pitch him anymore. I wanted to say it was cool meeting. I love meeting people who you talk to online. He's a really cool guy in person. Uh, we had a great time at the show. And hopefully, we're going to get a training vlog in and a, haters will say, interview if time allows. People are busy. I don't expect anybody's time. I'm not entitled to anybody's time. But uh, if we can make that happen, that's going to be phenomenal. And you guys are going to love it. Because, again, I think he's a guy who kind of understands. And we talked about this a little bit last night. The connection between all the different things and what I would refer to as the manosphere and what many people would refer to as a manosphere are like male self-improvement. And that connects to getting women, right? That connects to financial success, that connects to self-discipline, uh, diet, all these different things that, that also kind of just relate to general life satisfaction and happiness, but aren't really mainstream ideas because part of that is like becoming more masculine. And I'm not equating getting buff with being masculine, but it is one of the slices of that pie where you can feel good about yourself and feel confidence and also feel competence, even if it's as, at something as simple as lifting weights, it improves your self-esteem just because you get good at something. And then you see results and you can keep going with it for quite a while, or you could learn complex movements like Olympic lifting, you know, or deadlifting even. Getting better at stuff feels good. Uh, getting more muscle feels good. Uh, you know, creating a community around fitness feels good. All these things lead to happiness, confidence, social skills, and potentially even a difference in the way that people perceive you, which then is also going to be related to financial success. So I like looking at that idea of how to be a better person and specifically a better, more masculine man, if that's what you're into. And, uh, you know, fitness covers a lot of that, you know, the programs, even just how to dress because a lot of guys are clueless with that. So, you know, having something like, you know, clothing or Oak and Stone and a lot of it, you know, there's some overlap there. I like both the brands and I'm rocking the Oak and Stone right now because it's designed for guys like, all right, you get big. Now the problem is your stuff doesn't fit. Well, now there's brands that market 
to you specifically to make you look your best. All right? And I'll just say, I'm going to wrap it up with a sup full finale here. The shows in Philly were really cool, and it was really cool meeting people in Philly. And I guess maybe as I do this podcast more, people have more of a context to understand me and talk to me about things that uh, I'm really into and that are a part of my life. So I just found myself having deeper conversations and I want to attribute it to Philly and say like, the people are more interesting and engaging in Philly. Maybe that's true or maybe it's just a byproduct of the fact that as I put more of my life out there, people have more to then engage with me on. All right? Look, I'm going to touch on this real quick. What, how much time has passed? Like three hours? I'm not telling. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 26 minutes. 26 minutes. Okay. Not too bad. Because I wanted to touch on something that people have actually reached out to me about. I'm going to call this section Hella Sad Tragedies. I wanted to discuss recent events with Kalem Von Moger. And again, I'm always going to try to avoid discussing drama for the sake of it. I know the Amber Heard trial is drama and celebrity drama ugh, specifically. However, I think there are these unique angles that I find my way into it. And whether you find that disingenuous or not, I have no way of knowing unless you tell me in the comment section right now and debate it out and make sure you leave hundreds of comments and also call me a pseudo intellectual, but then not be able to back it up. So I don't want to bring drama, like breaking news drama or talk about it just like this thing happened. I'm gonna to try to ask why. And with Kalem Von Moger, we have uh, Von, <laughs> Von Moger, Von Moger. I really don't know how to say his last name and it's one of those names that I'm just gonna screw up over and over again. Please forgive me. Now, for those of the, uh, you who don't know, this, this guy, you know, the, the breaking news is he's now able to walk and was released from the hospital after jumping out of a two-story building um, or his house, really. He jumped through the window and there was some, I'm still not quite sure exactly what happened. I, there were some rumors that there was like drug dealers involved because apparently he was getting into meth and coke and had been found with some stuff and just acting erratically on social media in general. So we don't know if it was like a suicide attempt or somebody was maybe in the house like chasing after him and threatening violence, but he jumped out hurt his spine to the degree that he couldn't walk and I think was put into a uh, you know, medical coma for a certain period of time to allow him to recover and possibly detox from drugs. Now, rewind, <laughs> where'd this guy start? Well, he was one of the brightest stars in all of fitness. That's, I guess, where the tragedy comes from and is set up by because we hear about deaths a lot, but a lot of this stuff in bodybuilding is like sudden deaths after the guy was kind of leading a normal life or like, looked really good and there wasn't like and it's shocking because it's like he was just doing his thing bodybuilding which of course bodybuilding uh, at the elite level is very dangerous when you're enhanced because of the amounts of steroids you take and just the general stresses of that lifestyle being super low body fat and you know eating so much and, and putting this stress on your body just from the additional weight alone so uh, he's a guy who started out, he was a competitive bodybuilder, but of course the lucrative nature of social media and acting, you know, it's like, unless you're winning shows at the highest level and even then it's not that much money. So this guy was, you know, a semi pioneer in, in the social media bodybuilding, but you know, he's got a fantastic physique. He's tall. Um, just to say, you know, cause a lot of competitive bodybuilders are shorter. 
So he's got kind of that Arnold thing where it's like, oh, here's this bodybuilder. He's also 6'3 or, you know, whatever. It's just sort of unusual. But his physique's amazing. He's got some tattoos, which is also kind of unconventional for a bodybuilder. And he's this, like, super handsome Australian guy who I don't find him particularly charismatic outside of, like, his looks and physique. But, you know, you don't really need that. You can, <laughs> you can rock it to stardom even without being able to be the most charismatic speaker per se. However, I will say this, he played Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie Bigger. He wasn't like the main character because it's about the Joe Weider story. And I will be totally honest and say, I haven't seen the movie outside of clips from it where he's acting, but I was very impressed with his acting. Like given the fact that also, yes, I had super low expectations for him, but even then, I thought he did the accent. They put maybe a little bit of prosthetics on him to look like Arnold. I was like, I buy this guy's Arnold because that could have been disastrous. Casey, you can confirm this. <laughs> Take a bodybuilder off the street and be like, hey, play Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. 90, yeah. No, 999 times out of 1,000 or more. 999, you know, <laughs> a million out of a million times yeah. outside of Caleb Von Moger. <laughs> it's not going to work. Uh, you know, so I was very impressed by him. And, and you, you go, okay, this, yeah, this guy could act, right? That's sort of rare like Arnold is. Um, so he had so many things going for him. What's the turning point here? What is the uh, uh, you know, part of his life or what is the incident that led to this downfall? Because he didn't go from that to just jumping out of a window on math, right? There was a few incidents that preceded that and then it started to get dark and that were, those things were injuries from some stupid preventable reckless stuff, right? It's not like just training. It's like, for example, he tore his quad doing like a, a rock climbing thing, right? So it's like, you know, for me, like <laughs> I look at rock climbing and it's like, if you use your body and it, like, if I was in his position where this is my 100% moneymaker and I'm at this elite level, like I'd be careful, right? So he's sort of a reckless guy to begin with, but he tore his quad, I think, rock climbing. So you're just out, like, you know, it's like weeks, months, whatever. I think it was pretty bad, like it tore off the tendon, maybe both of them. I remember, I think I remember seeing him like with like both legs in a cast. So, you know, it was a severe enough injury that he had to take months of training. He also tore his bicep doing a curl with somebody else. It was like, they're trying to curl, like, like two guys standing next to each other, like trying to curl 405, I believe. You know, so it's like, okay, if you, if, one, if you could do like a cheat curl with 225, which isn't super, it's very hard. But if you're like a super big jack guy, it's like you could do a cheat curl with that. Why you would do that with a partner at 405 pounds is beyond me because the risk of you tearing a tendon here, this is such a weak, vulnerable part of your arm, you know, and not that they, if they perfectly timed it, they couldn't do it. But like, if, if you're not perfectly in sync, then one person is going to like suddenly be bearing like almost 400 pounds on your bicep tendon, you know, it's just a recipe for injury. So stupid and preventable, but all these things kind of took him out an injury. If these things happen back to back, all of a sudden six months, a year, you can't train properly. Guess what? If your identity and your source of income and your source of happiness is just your body, then things might get a little depressing. Things uh, might take a turn for the sad, for the angry, for the bitter, for uh, the looking for other things to replace that, such as drugs, especially when you're immobile, you know, with leg injuries and you can't turn to even running to do anything or any alternate form of exercising because it, does, you know, it doesn't matter if it's lifting, like just to get the feel good out of exercise, there's many things you can do. But if you can't do anything, it sort of makes sense, right? 
There was some reports like that he was doing drugs. He starts to look different. Your face gets thinner and, and more gaunt. Um, there was a weird incident a few weeks ago, maybe months at this point, where he hit a kangaroo and beheaded it. Not on purpose, <laughs> the hitting, not the beheading, but, you know, look, kangaroos, sure, they're more like deer in Australia. In America, we still have this, like, you hit a kangaroo and it was dead and your decision was to chop it into pieces with a chainsaw? Like, that sounds insane and unhinged. And, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> when somebody then tells you, this guy's on meth, you're like, it checks out. He put it on social media also, which was like, a, you know, again, this is sort of like the most immediate thing preceding him jumping out the window. And uh, to me, it's indicative of like losing touch with reality in a sense where you think this is going to be funny or you can't imagine how it would translate. And I get like it, to me, but even a deer in America, like, I don't know what, like, <laughs> were you aware of this, Casey? Not at all. Okay. All new be to me. Yeah. I have no idea like what the reach of is like Caleb Von Moger does something crazy in the fitness world. The people I'm following on YouTube, it's like, whoa, this is nuts. It probably won't reach anybody else because I mean, for, it's just too dark and too, the guy's not f that famous enough. Right. But yeah, he had, he had a kangaroo and put it all over social media that like it was an accident. Sure. But then he put it in his truck and then he beheaded it and he's like walking around with the head. And it's just like, Oh God, like, you know, and I get it. I'm a hypocrite. I eat meat, but you, most people, <laughs> would look at that and go, that just doesn't, first of all, need to happen uh, because I think I would be very sad if I hit a kangaroo or a deer, you know, like, a, and I, I have friends who've hit a deer before and they're like, it, it messed up my whole month because I felt bad about like smashing. It's a traumatic sudden thing. It's not like deer hunting or like eating a steak. It's like, like, you're just like, that, that, ah, like I just murdered something, you know, there's, there's just much more to process and much more like heightened emotion to it. So to turn right around and like laugh. It's like, ooh, there's some sort of deficit going on there. And I do think drugs turn you into, you know, in general, especially uppers like Coke and meth, they're gonna reduce your empathy and your thoughtfulness and your ability to access emotions like sadness. And we see that. And, you know, th that's just to put a little pin, like here's where we were. And then we picked up with him, you know, jumping out of a window and uh you know having a severe back injury i hope he gets better the point of me bringing all this stuff in is i personally really enjoy the fact that i'm not connected uh, with my identity to my body as much as i may have been in the past there was a time when that was so 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 important to me and i wanted to get big and i got up to you know bigger than i am now at, at the age of 18 19 and uh and you know, after college, I kind of looked at myself and said, I don't, what's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of being 250? And also I wanted to run away from that and be like, I just want to be perceived as normal. I don't want people to look at me, you know, especially where I went to college. That wasn't necessarily cool. It's not like the football team was like super cool at Pomona College. Um, you know, there was, you're going to get stereotyped anywhere you go, but you know, there wasn't like a culture of groupies or something where it's like we're playing at Alabama and like, oh, it's a cool football player. It's like, look at this meathead. He doesn't belong here, right? So that's ingrained in your head and you run away from that. And for many years, as I probably have explained in the last podcast, you know, I got down to like 200 pounds and just, you know, I've spent time between, not two extremes per se, but like it, it allows you to form <laughs> identities outside of just being buff. And, and I'm grateful for that. And I don't think anybody should be attached to your body. And it can also work in reverse where people are fat and they're sort of like, 
Like I've known comedians, for example, who are really fat and they're worried about losing weight because they think it'll make them not funny, you know? And there's not like, it's not crazy to think that because yeah, like being like being, maybe we're more likely to laugh at fat people being goofy and kind of like we accept like the, like without them having to first self deprecate, you know, or like bring us down or make us comfortable with laughing. Like we're comfortable around this person being funny easier and uh but i still think it's an irrational fear it's like no no you should get healthy and do what you want to do but even you know on both sides people get attached to having a really nice body and then get super depressed if anything happens and they can't quite hold on to this because they don't have any other mechanism besides the mirror to tell them they are who they are and so experiencing and building an identity around other things rather than just aesthetics and just weightlifting and just your body those are important you know and having the right community and, and other things other hobbies that make you happy because I just see that as an, ex this Kayla Maud Moger situation as an extreme result of stuff like that, where it's like you're focused completely on one thing, you know, almost like an Olympian or something. It's like, what if your whole life was like, you know, being a track star and your legs got amputated, you know, at the age of like 23, when you were like about to go to the Olympics and, and you were, you know, the, the pick to win the gold medal. Be pretty hard, right? Like if you had never developed any other thing, that's going to be really depressing and perhaps, you know, you could see that person going down some dark avenues. So I guess the message here is be well-rounded. <laughs> but I do hope Caleb gets better and makes a full recovery and, and uh, you know, leaves all that behind him. We got like so many. This is why we can't have nice gyms. Can we click on some of them? Let's just do it. Let's just, you know, bring it back to a happy route. This one's just like, this is like a super cut of everything that I, you know, uh, this is like, this is the, this is why we can't have nice gyms in one video, actually. A guy, like, super arch, like, <laughs> rips the barbell off. A guy uh, slipping, doing box jumps. A guy do, thinking he's doing shrugs, but he's just doing, like, neck glitches. A girl, you know, doing, <laughs> there's too much to keep up with. A guy doing lat rays, like, just air humps, uh, or lat pull air humps. There's so much going. If you're listening to this podcast, go to johncari.fit. That's what the guy is, johncari.fit. And it's like him walking into the gym and just seeing like 30 things that people do. That, and we've all seen in the gym. Like we've all seen people doing these crazy half reps and like on the cable flies, like letting them pull them back and forth. Like it's a roller coaster ride and all that crap. Um, good job, my man, putting that together. What's the next? What do we got here? Okay, this is another now we... We can't have nice gyms because this one was trying to do a hex bar deadlift <laughs> the wrong way. Like instead of like, like gripping like the handles that come up and out, she grips the other. So it's like rotate it, you know, what would that be? 90 degrees. And so she picks it up immediately. It tilts because it's not meant to be balanced that way. So it tips forward. The weight falls off. That part flies, his, hits her right in the, uh, well, it doesn't hit her in the face. It just like makes her fall backwards because the weight counterbalances the, uh, to the back. Funny, those, those, funny. Those handles are saying, please grab me here. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, like why would they be there yeah. otherwise? Like, <laughs> to hit you in the face easier when you drop it? This is not a, like, I'm going to start mixing in memes. This one is just, when you start bench press and you feel your left shoulder uh, acting up, and it's, it's a Breaking Bad meme of Walter White, like, like reading a text message and slamming the table in anger. No, 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 no. Cause that's how it feels. I think it's just a relatable meme. What else we got? Oh my god! The, you know, normally you see that kind of arch on a guy. This that's guy has the most insane arch I've ever seen. He gives one of these one-inch bench presses. We'll we'll keep playing this 
the clips like these because yes, of course it's absurd. And of course the rules to change for bench press. And of course I'm an advocate for rule changes in powerlifting competitions. And that's something I just super really care about. That guy's like a contortionist almost. I mean, that's crazy to get in that position. Oh yeah, it's insane. But that rep counts. It technically does. And again, the antidote to that would be to limit per weight class how far you can go out, right? I thought this was a funny little gym sketch. Good, simple premise. He says, me at my own wedding. And he's just chilling, dude. Wife beater, sweatpants on, doesn't give a F. Then he goes, me at my homie's PR attempt. And he's walking through the gym in a suit and sunglasses. I'm like, yes. That guy is his priority straight. What else we got? Okay, this was insane. This guy's doing like a like behind the neck overhead press and oh, freeze frame on his arms bending a way that they simply shouldn't bend. Looks like you snapped some tendons there in your elbow. I'm sorry to hear that, but why wouldn't you just let go of the bar? Why wouldn't you, when you feel it go down like two inches past your traps, like you let it go. What do you think you're gonna like save it? You know, it's like, oh, whoops, I caught it. That's 50, yeah, that's 25 kilo plates. That's uh, 120, you know, two, that's like 265 pounds. And he's trying to like catch it behind his back like it's a 10 pound barbell. Okay. This is just, this is why we can have nice females in lifting. She does a from the knees snatch in a dress and high heels. I love seeing this stuff. It's also raining outside. It's raining. Yeah. She's got a towel down. It's just badass overall. Yeah. Good for her. I love seeing women, like there was like a gender reveal where like they did like a snatch and like, I don't know, it's something like, like the, when she slammed it, the balloons popped or something like that. I thought that was cool. It's just cool to see women power, like doing Olympic lifting and powerlifting. I think. Somebody wants, there's a way, is it playing that? Hold on. Yep. This is like another one where it's like, let go of the weight. If you're push pressing and it gets past one inch beyond where you can feel that center of gravity start to shift, she just lets it. Make her do a sissy squat, apparently, like, you know, was what it seems like, which is where you put all your weight, uh, you know, on your toes as you bend your torso backwards in a straight line from your knee to your shoulders. And uh, she's, just, she's holding on to that, because look at that position. It's like, what, you're still holding on to this push press as it looks like you're just laying on a flat bench almost. Yeah, let it go, yeah. let it go, let it go. And then finally, this is why we can't have nice airports. You know what I'm about to play. So there's more to this video I didn't realize, but this is the famous airport incident. Uh, you know, do I know the dude's name? No, but we talked about it on the fight of the kid yesterday. And I just wanted to say, you can't initiate physical violence with another man and not expect severe consequences. I would say if you're doing this, and of course the guy's like, it's, to me it's not about like, he was on the job, he was wrong. Of course, you know, he was. And, and, and further video shows that the airport employee, even though the clip is longer, Looks like the airport employee like, at least took the first swing. I don't know if he connected, but there was much more to this. The guy kept coming at him, and, and I just think, like, you can't have sympathy for somebody, even though he did, you know, he got knocked over, it's humiliating for him, he's bleeding, all that. Don't initiate physical violence with another man unless you're essentially ready to murder him, you know, and deal with those consequences, because if you're dealing with another guy who's game to fight, like, that's where it's going to go, you know, like especially with a pro athlete. And, and I guess the guy was, you know, the, the athlete was claiming, I mean, he was calling him, a, you know, names and harassing him in the airport. 
And I'm not going to doubt who knows because people act crazy. It's like, you know, oh, you suck. You suck at football because you lost a game on the team that I like. Or, you know, you, you played against the team that I like and won. Uh, don't do that. Never initiate violence. Be prepared for it, but don't ever initiate that because the consequences can be severe and swift. And you can get stabbed. And Andrew, I'm going to start doing segments on Andrew Tate because he talks about that. He's like, you know, people training like Krav Maga and stuff like that. He's like, cool, cool, cool. But if somebody wants to stab you with a knife, they're going to do it. You know, like if enough guys surround you and want to do that, they're going to do it. You're going to die really quickly. So what you need to do is learn how to run. <laughs> you know, like boxing is cool too if you're in a fight. But when somebody wants to perpetrate violence against you, there's very little you can do but run. So you have to essentially be, you know, aware of your surroundings. Take the headphones out of your ears. Okay. We got some Mark Harley memes of the week. You know, Daniel Rabone back at it with some classic bangers. He sends me these. I appreciate it. <laughs> this is that classic, like, the first one's the, you know, the guy looking back at the girl that's crossing and the, his girlfriend is, like, looking at him like, what? Are you serious? And this is me with lion face, or it's supposed to be me with Beauty and the Beast. Is that what it is? Like, it looks like me. I'll be honest. And then the guy looking is the TFAK subreddit. And then TFAK, because the TFAK subreddit is ignoring TFAK uh, for me, which is true, um, which is definitely true. <laughs> I'm just going to read real quick. I'm going to read this for context. But, um, you know, so the last episode, I said, tune in at 6 p.m. PST today. If for nothing else, then the comment section will, which will inevitably be filled with as much mental gymnastics and venomous defensiveness as you'd expect from the single most sensitive anonymous hate group on Reddit. Spoiler alert, none of them will gain an ounce of self-awareness listening to my psychoanalysis. Haters will say it's because I'm not good at psychoanalysis and not because I'm talking to an emotionally stunted man babies who can't find employment outside of the friars at P.F. Chang's. Link will appear in bio and story as soon as it drops. So... I, in that episode, I challenged people to find my mental illness. I, you know, uh, called out the subreddit for doing the things that they've been doing really explicitly and said, you know, guys harassed my mom, made fun of my dead father, then accused me of doing that all to myself, yada, yada. And you can, you can do whatever you want. In the I actually don't erase comments, you know from uh, any of these episodes. So you can do what you want. I got called pseudo-intellectual like 30 times. And as many of the responses that I could get to, as many of these comments that I could respond to, I'd say, yeah, tell me one thing that indicates I'm a pseudo-intellectual. Tell me one thing you disagree with or want to challenge me on or say my interpretation is indicative of pseudo-intellectualism. I did not get a single response. I challenged people to define my mental illness. And as I said, one person listed symptoms of narcissism. <laughs> so I listed symptoms of pedophilia. Um, and then the real response to that was to start making mo me. <laughs> the real response to that that has popped up that I've gotten on my page probably like 200, 300 times. And apparently there's a lot of posts on it on Reddit is that I have small feet. Oh, I think it's safe to say it's a conversational TKO. If I say hit me with your best shot and you call me a pseudo-intellectual and can't back it up and can't define the mental illness that I suffer from and you accuse me of having small feet and that's the best you got. Oh, case closed.
You're not that good at what you do. And this is over. So, <laughs> back to the memes. Subreddit hate group, classic meme. I don't even know who these actresses are, but it's like the cat with the salad on the other side. <laughs> I love this format, though. I don't know if he knows that I, that I love this format in all things, but oh, I'm so bad, like you. And the cat's like, Meh. right? Triangle face. Meh. We got hella fat heart. Look, this is me, and all like, oh, this is funny to you, Casey. This is funny to you. Yeah. This is funny to you. Yeah, I like it. Okay, I like it because you're fat. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> In real life, you're not fat, but then if you got fat, that's what you'd look like. And then what do we have next? Oh. It's me and Brendan, fake brothers. The movie coming to a theater near you. And this isn't a Mark Harley meme. I just thought this was like so innocent and funny. Like it's like so simple, this next one. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's a cartoon told in three boxes here, three frames. It's a blue crayon getting a call. Say, hey, Red, what's shaking? Red on the line says, hey, Blue, can you swing by the hospital? Blue's like, sure, why? Then it cuts to Red in the hospital with his wife, the yellow crayon, and their baby's green. Dun, dun, dun. And he says, just want to talk. <laughs> like, you got cucked by a blue crayon, bro. <clears throat> and the nurses are orange. Okay, Liver King, we're going to finish off with the Liver King. No, I think the those are their other two children. Oh. Because red oh. and yellow make orange. <laughs> So we know who's a pseudo intellectual here. Mark, Mark, Mark pretended to know how colors mix, and then immediately revealed that he's no color expert after all. That's why <laughs> like, I'm yeah, those nurses are really short too. I wonder why. <laughs> why the other crayons seem so big in comparison to these orange small nurses? That's okay. You know why? Because because Casey was one of these people claiming I'm a pseudo intellectual. He gets to go on my comments and be like, "Hey, Mark." You don't know that uh, that red plus yellow equals orange, so that's you know I'd have to be like, all right, no conversational TKO there, except like from you to me. Okay, let's play this little <laughs> clip. I just thought that the this is uh, from the not you know not fit memes. This is his date night with his with his wife, right? We got heart. We got, we got, heart. We got testes. Bloody maple syrup. So again, the real reason I'm playing this is they cheers their bones and have bone marrow. He goes, everything about this man is repulsive. <laughs> Funny to me. I don't know. And here we have a screenshot. I think this might be real. The guy goes, does liver, does king, does liver king liver queef? And like he leaves off the F for queef. And then liver king responds, does Cole Ames know what it's like to be worthy to behold such a queen? A queen's queef would blow you into oblivion. I hope that's him. I really hope. Like, it kind of seems like on character for him because he kind of gets raunchy and swears and stuff like that. Um, and I just, I continue to find him a, a, as a source of entertainment. I'm not hating on you, Liver King, but, you know, if you ever think we're going to drop this segment, you're out your goddamn mind. Um... Protein pony shirts and merchandise coming soon. 